Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. Oh. <laughs> and welcome to the Fourth Line Boys Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 261 of the Big Show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Another Sunday. Ah, uh, yes. Beginning of the work week. For some, I'm sure you're listening on Monday. Here we go. Let's attack the week. Um, yeah, how you guys doing? I'm going to be completely honest with you, folks. Not uh, Well, not feeling great. Uh, kind of battling here this week. Missed a couple of days of work. Wow, I wouldn't say missing them. But you know what sucks is when you got to use sick days when you're actually sick. Yeah. I don't know what my deal is. It's just like general, just bleh. And I ended up like... Sleeping the days away. How, you ever notice when you like take a day off or you're sick or whatever, you know, the, the day flies by like it's six minutes long, but when you're at work, it's like 60 hours long. It's strange how that works. But uh, anyway, I'm sure you uh, tuned in to hear my plight. Um, yeah, so to be completely honest, yeah, like I said, this week's been a little uh, kind of up in the air. Um, like I said, missed a few days, haven't been feeling great, basically slept two days away. Um, so, um, a lot, not a lot of, uh, research and, and such has been, uh, has been put in lately, but I will say folks, I did an interview and I did a hell of an interview last night. It is with none other than PL3. Yes. Pierre-Luc LeBlanc, who was a very tough dude and was a great interview. And we talked for like two and a half hours and he, he was awesome. And, uh, I think you guys will really dig it. That'll be Wednesday's show. Um, I'm actually thinking about maybe splitting it up and doing Wednesday, uh, a two-parter. Um, cause I haven't gone back to check. I think it's two and a half hours. It might, if it gets, starts getting close to three, I think I'm going to split them up into two, you know, one and a half hour episodes. Um, because then it also, it also helps me cause then I don't have to really record anything on Sunday. Um, but so it sort of gives me some time, 
But, uh, in all seriousness though, it, uh, it is a great interview. Um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't hold back. He tells, tells it like it is, tells the stories. And, uh, I mean, not that, you know, anything's like groundbreaking. It's going to make TMZ or anything in terms of gossip, but no, I mean, he's just honest with his career and how he felt and fighting the different guys and his fight card is tremendous. And, uh, no, and I, I just had a lot of fun. We just had a lot of fun talking and, uh, you know, even before and after the show, it was, uh, it was cool. So, um, yeah. And I really want to thank, uh, Pierre again for coming on and, uh, uh, yeah, I think you guys will really like it. So that'll be Wednesday's episode. So unfortunately for tonight, you're stuck with me. Um, what do I always say? We're, I'm not going to talk long today. <laughs> um, actually with the way I'm feeling, I'm probably not going to talk long today. I do have a list though. So we gotta, we gotta help out, uh, Broken jaw, broken jaw Tim out there. Um, it is a list of what is it now? It's like the twentieth toughest guys ever. Somebody sent it to me. Said you'll dig this, so it's like okay. So I don't know. I have again. I haven't checked the list. As you guys know, when I do the list, I never look at them ahead of time. I want to discover them with you guys. So um, we'll see how that goes. And uh, and I have a player spotlight. And actually, a, one of a, a, a favorite of mine. Um, you know, a brief, a brief streak in the, across the sky in the NHL. And then he was, uh, and then it was over, but, uh, Alex Stoinoff. And, uh, and I think when you guys go down the, the YouTube rabbit hole, um, I think you guys will, you guys will dig it. So I'm sure everybody, most of the people listening know who I'm talking about, but, uh, I think when you go back and like I said, um, Cause I'm sure most people aren't just, a, you know, on a weekly basis checking out Stoyanoff tilts. But, uh, I think when you go back and revisit them and watch them, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of, I, I had fun doing that. Um, and like I said, unfortunately with injuries and everything else, it was a brief NHL career, but, uh, yeah, but we'll talk about that and, uh, yeah, and that list. But, uh, before we do that, um, obviously I have to talk about, uh, you know, the network. And, uh, as I said, I remember the hockey podcast network, there's over 50 shows in the network. All the NHL teams are represented. So whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Actually, some of the teams, there's multiple shows for you. If you, uh, are, are so inclined. And then for my off and network friends, of course, I got Alec over there at the five for fighting podcast. He actually released an episode folks. Yes. He uh, did a follow up with his, his, uh, correspondence with Flow Sports and the East Coast Hockey League. So tune in to hear that. The saga continues. But uh, actually, I talk, I was on, or I wasn't on it. He hasn't released the episode yet, but um, I'm actually going to be a part of Alex. I'm assuming his next episode. Um, he is doing, well, he's already put it out there, so it's not like I'm talking out of school, but uh, it is a Kerry Toporowski special. And uh, he got a hold of me, and we just talked about Kerry's uh, junior uh, career. And, uh, and all the penalty minutes and everything else. And, uh, I think it ended up more that we just ended up drinking a bunch of beer and kind of just talking nonsense. I was talking about VHS and beta and the porn industry and stuff. That's how, that's where we went with that episode. Yeah. But, uh, he's interviewed a couple former players for it. And, uh, and of course, Jay, who's down in, uh, Quad City where, you know, Topper finished out his career. Um, and he talks about those days. And it'll just be a fun, uh, like I said, a fun, um, uh, topic about or a fun episode about Topper, so uh, you know, definite minor league legend, and uh, that'll be fun. And I always enjoy being on Alex's show and and just uh, just talking to those guys, just talking to him in general. We have, we always have fun, and like I said, we were 
cracking beers and, uh, and having a good time. So, uh, yesterday. So, um, yeah, well, and that was the thing. Of course, I, I talked to him right after work and then I had, I interviewed, uh, LeBlanc there later, uh, a couple hours later. So I couldn't go complete, uh, gong show with the beers, but, uh, yeah, we have a few and, and it's always fun, but, uh, Yes, so uh, I'm not sure when that episode will come out. I'm sure shortly next week. I'm assuming, and uh, but yes, definitely check out the Five for Fighting podcast. Also, uh, speaking of that, go to YouTube, the Five for Fighting YouTube channel. Um, of course, the one that has all the controversy around it with the East Coast League footage and everything else. Um, and YouTube shutting the channel down, and he's reinvented it, started over. So let's try to get them some subscribers. Uh, go to YouTube, subscribe to the Five for Fighting channel, and uh, he is constantly uploading stuff. Now he's getting fan submissions and uh, and uh, some great stuff. That double knockout video, and I'm if uh, if anyone's on social media that's listening, and you're on social media quite a bit. This past week there was a, a double knockout in the East Coast Hockey League. I I don't know who the players were, but. There, I, I gotta give them credit. The two kids were banging, man. They were going toe to toe and they both like catch each other simultaneously and they both drop. I mean, they both get up, but they're feeling it. And, uh, it's the damnedest thing. I mean, you don't see that very often. And, um, yeah. Anyway, of course, uh, a guy filmed it, a guy that follows Alec, his show and stuff. And he's like, he got a hold of Alec and said, Oh, you gotta see what I filmed tonight. And he sent over the video and then Alec, of course, Alec put it on his channel. And it got a ton of traction. Oh, Spit and Chiglets retweeted. It was on like Sports Center, and I mean, uh, yeah. So this video made the rounds, and then uh, and that was earlier in the week. And then right the other night, it was either yesterday or Thursday. Oh, the Cincinnati. One of the players played for Cincinnati. Oh, so Cincinnati, the team, the East Coast League team. Oh, their social media guy puts out. Oh, with all our great work that our social media team's been doing lately with our interviews and our highlights. Oh, we are, we've been featured on two major shows and a major, but well, it had, and I'm laughing. This social media team takes complete credit for their big spike in, uh, you know, in the analytics. You had nothing to do with that. I said it was two fight fans. It was, uh, I can't, whoever the gentleman was, I can't remember his name that filmed it. And then Alec using it on his platform. To showcase it, those are the two guys that got you your friggin' list, your looks, your looks, your, uh, your views. Yeah, it had nothing to do with the Cincinnati. Yeah, the Cincinnati Cyclo. Yeah, and your, your interview with, uh, you know, fucking Johnny over out in front of the Piggly Wiggly. Oh, that's what sparked the, uh, all the interest in the Cincinnati Cyclones hockey team. Oh, give me a break. You guys, yeah, you're, you guys wouldn't know whether to scratch your watch or wind your ass. That, that's the, that's the one thing I found over the years that, I mean, it's the wild west in terms of social media. Cause people just steal content left and right. You know, and they, they'll put their watermark on it or call it their own or whatever. And I mean, you know, I've seen some of my stuff go somewhere, you know, and other people use it. I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah, I'm not gonna say what show it was, but what's. No, in all seriousness, no. it wasn't like Whitney and Biz stole my video or anything. Whoever there's one of their social media guys is a barstool. Um, went to my YouTube channel and took the video of Bissonette fighting Carcillo at, at Penn's camp and uploaded it, which is fine. I don't care. But of course, they go and slap the Spit Jiglets logo, a watermark on it and everything. And it's just like, really? Like, I know it's not, you didn't film it. 
Now, I didn't film it either, but I didn't put my watermark or anything. I didn't claim it as my own. But it's just like, can't you just say what YouTube channel you got it from? Like, you can use it, but just say courtesy of Fourth Line Voice YouTube. And then maybe people, oh, if he's got that, let's see what else he has. And then you kind of help me out too. Like, you're spitting chiclets, you're barstool, you don't need any more help. Like, really, do you have to own everything? Like, it's just like, this was a few years ago, and I remember I sent the guy a private, it was like barstool clips or something, and I sent him a message, and I just said the same thing. I'm like, dude, you can use all the fights you want. I got a bunch of biz stuff on there. I got his all-star game fight, too, with Fanuf if you want, from the from the junior, but it's like, do you really have to go slap your, your watermark on it and act like it was yours? Like, can't you just use it and then say, this is where you got it from, and, and give me a little bump, too? You know, like... Come on, man. Like like I said, do you guys need to own everything? And of course, they never replied or whatever. But it was just like, you know. And I've noticed since. I'm not, And I'm not saying it's because of me. I'm sure other people have said stuff to him too. Um, unless it's, maybe it's a different media team. I don't know. But I've seen that they've like courtesy of. And they, and they put who the clip belongs to. And that's all you ask for. I mean, that's cool. I mean, I always said with my YouTube channel or pit or whatever... People can use anything that I post. I don't care on my YouTube channel, but could you maybe just say where you got it from? That way you, they're get view, you're getting the views and then, and I, and I kind of, and I get the, you know, and then, and it helps me out as well. So it helps, we're both, we both win, you know, like can't, but why do people have to, like, I don't understand that. Like just, you just have to steal and just like, I don't know. And and especially when it's, I mean, it's one thing if like, you know, some guy with seven followers or something takes it, you know, okay, whatever. But when it's like these big places like Barstool and all this, I mean, but I mean, that's how a lot of those places got big. They just stole other people's content and, and they, and they just have a bigger platform or a louder voice or used it better. And, and they, you know, and somebody could, oh, that's the hustle, bro. Well, okay, I guess, but you know, I, I just think it's just, you know, greasy. And, I, and like I said, there's nothing wrong. You use whatever material I have, but could you just give me some credit for it? You know, and like I said, then we both win. You're still going to be huge, you know, but it's just in that, in just in the social media space, it's so greasy. And it's like, and like a lot of these bigger name, um, uh, social media pl- things, they just, like I said, they just steal other people's shit. They never give anybody credit. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. And I, and like I said, their viewers, they don't care. Like, it doesn't matter to them. Like, they're just whatever. Give me content and who cares. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. Especially when they slap their watermark on it. That's even, that's fucking weak. You know, but, okay. Anyway, there, there's my rant. I don't know what I'm ranting about. But I just kind of, you know. Anyway. But yes, Alex, YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel, if you could subscribe. Also, another YouTube channel, uh, D-Skunk, like the letter D, skunk, like the animal, all one word. Um, of course, that's my boy Jay there in Iowa. And I've told this before, like he's had the channel forever. And I don't know why I've never said anything about it before, which was completely rude on my part. Um, and he never asked me to or anything. This isn't him. Hey, why don't you say anything about me? Like, no, no, no. He didn't do anything like that. I was just, like I, I said the other night, I was watching it. I was watching his channel the other night. And then I got to thinking, I've never even mentioned this, this channel. I mean, I've known about it forever. I'm like, why haven't I never mentioned this in the air? That was kind of rude of me. And he's been on my show a million times and helped me out huge. And I talk to him all the time. It's like, 
fucking asshole. <laughs> but so, and, and he does, uh, SPHL fights. He does, he uploads those from this year, but he's been doing it for years. SPHL. And he's got, goes way back to like the new, the old or the old, the new IHL days with, you know, like Wrecker and Little John and all those guys. He's got videos going back that far. So great stuff. So definitely check it out. Subscribe to it. You'll dig it, man. I'm, he's got good stuff on there. Especially when you start, uh, you know, scrolling way back. Um, yeah. Other than that, how about we get into this, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, topics for today. Um, oh, who is it old, uh, I saw, on, I saw on Twitter today just before I recorded, before I hit record here, uh, old, uh, Wi-Fi there from Montreal got dropped by Delorier in the Philadelphia Montreal game with an uppercut and, uh. You know, uh, like I say, everybody was all surprised. Wi-Fi got dropped like it was the dropping of the king. It's like, okay, he has like 12 career fights. Like, that's including Junior. So I don't know. All of a sudden, he's just crowned like he's this, you know, the big monster. It's like, okay, I guess. But whatever. I mean, not say, I'm not knocking the kid. I like him and whatever. I, or I'm indifferent. I really don't care, to be completely honest. But it's like, you know, I just laugh that, you know, he he has a he had I looked it up he had ten fights in three years in the Ontario Hockey League, and apparently he's the new super heavyweight in the NHL. It's like okay, oh and he flung around uh, Zach Cassian. Oh well, then there you go. That's that's the Tony Twist like right there. You know I'm not knocking Zach Cassian, but okay. You know I mean whatever. But uh, although his lat that the nickname Wi-Fi that cracks me up. That's pretty funny. But I gotta say, um, Delorier there, uh, you know, I've gone back and I kind of watched some of his fights. Eh, not bad, you know, new age guy, but I mean, hey, they're going for it. He's swinging and, uh, you know, I mean, I like both the guys. I'm not knocking anybody, but it's, you know, uh, for new age stuff, yeah, he's all right. I mean, I dig him. And, uh, and one of those guys, I think it was, you know, and I always kind of, I like to kind of give those guys credit that, you know, coming up, they, they weren't fighters. You know, not really. And they recognized how the, um, they could stay in the league and they just sort of, uh, and they just started fighting. And, and that's got, and that's got to be so hard. Like when, to make that mind, when you've never kind of had that mindset to begin with and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, it's not like, well, I guess I'm just going to fight now. Like, oh, okay. Like you're just going to, you're just going to turn that on. And it's like, no, that, that takes a lot of guts and you really have to alter the way you think about things. And, the anxiety that comes with that position and everything else. And so I give him full credit. So I always give credit like to a guy like Biz. I know he likes to sell him, you know, he self-deprecating all that. And he always shits on himself, whatever. And I know, and he's kind of become like, you know, and not in a, no, I don't mean it in a rude way, but he's sort of the clown prince now, right? In hockey. And he's always joking around the butt of jokes and, and you know, and everybody has a laugh and he, and he goes along with it. And, oh, I was a plug and a grocery stick and a pile on a blah, blah, blah. You know, okay. But at the end of the day, Say whatever you want, but Paul Bissonnette played an all-star game in the Ontario League. He was an all-star in the East Coast League. You know, like, he was a skilled guy. Like, he was a skilled defenseman. I mean, I'm not saying Brian Leach or anything, but no. But he had some skills, right? Like, he wasn't just, oh, the three-minute goon. Like, he played, got regular ice time, you know, wore a letter in junior. Like, he was a skilled guy. And put up decent points and, like, whatever. He was an all-star game, like I said. Skilled guy. Um, but he knew, he made the conscious decision that when he was playing in the American League, that I don't ha- I'm not talented enough as a defenseman offensively to make the NHL. 
So how can I make the NHL? Well, Pittsburgh doesn't have anybody that will like really that'll fight and stuff. So I'm going to start doing that. And he did. And he adopted that role and it got him some, Hey, it got him, what was it? 200 and some NHL games. And, um, you know, created the brand for himself, really. Um, and he fought everybody, and his fight card is solid. And, you know, was he the, the killer of man? Well, no, but, I mean, it wasn't like he was just some punching bag either. Like, you know, and for a guy that really was, like, he fought in junior and in the minors a little bit, but it wasn't like like he was kingpin goon or anything. But he, you know, worked at it, put in that, got that mindset as best as you can. And I'd love to sit down and talk. I know he's talked about it a little bit, but I'd really like to sit down with him. I think this summer, I'm going to really try to... I know he's always busy and everything else, but I know a few people that know him, and he follows me on Twitter, and I've actually talked to him privately a few times about some stuff, and like I, with pictures and stuff. And um, uh, I'm going to actually reach out for him, reach out to him and uh, you know when the season's over. And, maybe, and I'd love to sit down and just kind of really break down like his... Because I know he's, like I said, I know he's briefly talked about it and stuff, but I really like to talk about his OHL and his like minor league days and then just that mindset and the turn that went into it and all that. And uh, yeah, I think that'd be really cool. And, uh, you know, kind of get the serious biz for a bit, you know, have the jokes too, but kind of get a serious look at his career, you know, and uh, I think that would be fun. So I've always admired guys like that because that can't, that's not an easy transition. And, uh, yeah, so I admire those guys. And, uh, so that's why I like guys like Delorier and stuff like that. And I mean, even though I was kind of poo poo and Cassie in there for them, but even Zach Cassian, I mean, first round pick played on the world junior team. Like he's a skilled guy. He has skills, but he's also sort of kind of accepted that, okay, maybe if I hit more and did some fighting, you know, I could stick around. He's had a heck of a career, you know, and made millions of dollars and all that. So, um, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, is he like really some big fighter? No, not really, but he'll do it. And, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's been an, and I think Delorey is the same way. So it's been an interesting, you know, go of it. And, and really, like I've talked about this, you know, Ryan Reeves is the same thing. Reeves wasn't a fighter in junior. Like, in most fights he had was six. And that's back in the early 2000s when there was a lot of fighting. And uh, didn't really fight. Didn't really fight in the minors. Kind And then he started turning it up in the American League. <laughs> Pardon me. And, uh, you know, so again, another guy that turned himself into, you know, kind of the, the, the fighter, fourth line enforcer guy. Because he wasn't going to make the league any other way. So, like I said, I give those guys full marks for sure. And, uh, you know, it's not an easy transition. So, uh, anyway... What am I babbling about here? I'm just kind of I'm kind of rambling here about uh, a, a, a little bit of everything, but oh yeah, with the Wi-Fi getting dropped today, that's where I was started. Um, anyway, the, the one thing I will say though, when they fight now, and I always find it kind of, and it's not their fault because of the rules or whatever. But you ever, especially for an old timer like me, I find it weird when guys square off with their helmets and visors, like when they're wearing visors and they square off. It just looks so bizarre to me. Like, I just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I know it's not the player's fault, but it's just like, why? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, food for thought. Um, What should we do first? Well, we'll do the, should I do the player spotlight first or the list? Well, I'll do the player spotlight first because we'll do the list last. Um, Yeah, my basically as far as my list goes today, it is, uh, as I said, or not my list. Yeah, uh, must be the cold meds. 
Player Spotlight. Take two. Player Spotlight today is Alex Stoyanov. And, uh, and no, he's not a Russian. He was born in Windsor, Ontario. Um, in 1973, uh, he is, uh, uh, he was a, a first round pick by the Vancouver Canucks. First round, seventh overall in the 91 draft. And, um, unfortunately, um, he will forever be known as, uh, as they always say, one of the worst trades in hockey history. He was traded to Pittsburgh, uh, for Marcus Nasland. And, uh, of course, that really worked out for Vancouver. Uh, not so much for Pittsburgh, but, uh, let's look further into that. And I, cause I, and I, I think people on the surface just hear that and hear his name and, oh, he's traded for Nasland, dud, you know, whatever, brutal trade, idiots, you know. Well, let's, you know, it, it, everyone's, like I said, everyone's a genius scout in hindsight with using hindsight. Um, let's, let's kind of look into that. And I, and I think I've, I've probably talked about this before on this show. Um, but let's, uh, you know, for those, it's new to you. Uh, but, uh, but let's dive further into it, shall we? Um, again, I'm, I got to start off by saying, like I said, he's an OHL guy. So, and especially in the early nineties. I mean, we never saw him, right? Because there's no internet, no anything like that. And I, I was out west here, so um, never heard of him until the uh, Hockey News did their annual draft preview, and then they mentioned him. And um, that, and then TSN would always have a junior game of the week, and they every week would be like WHL one week, then OHL, then Quebec, and they'd rotate like that. And I, and it was one of the games storing off his team was playing and I want to say it was uh, Hamilton, the Dukes when they had a team, um, they were they, I, whoever they were playing, but he got into a fight and I remember we were watching, he's a big guy and they started talking about him and they were talking about him uh, beating up Lindros, which at the time was a big deal. Cause of course it's Eric Lindros and blah, blah, blah. And I'd love to see that fight. Cause apparently it was an, it was a really good fight. Um, now whether I don't, I've never seen it. I don't know. Some people say it was, it was even other people say throwing off one, whatever the case may be, throwing off really built his rep off that fight. Um, you know, and, uh, but it's throwing off big guy, six, four, two forty, and, um, and great hands. And at the time, again, 1990, 91, everyone's looking for Probert. All these teams are looking for Probert, a guy that could score, could fight, has the size and all that, and Stoinoff had all checked every box, and um, you know, and and we go down, and when you look at his, you know, the his draft year, he played sixty two games. That was the year he fought Lindros. Had twenty five goals, twenty assists, one hundred and seventy nine minutes. Um, yeah, and then uh, you know, the, then he got drafted, and uh, you know, the following year plays for Guelph at thirty three games. He has twenty seven points, ninety one minutes, and penalties. And then he got hurt, which is unfortunate. But then he comes back as a 19-year-old, 92-93. He starts the season off in Newmarket with the Royals. Or pardon me, he starts in Guelph again. And he gets traded to Newmarket at the end of the year. But if you but if you listen to his combined numbers, 49 games played, 36 goals, 35 assists for 71 points. He really toned down the fighting because he really wanted to show that he could play. And he only had 33 penalty minutes. But at that point, there was no, he didn't need to prove how tough he was because he'd already kind of fought everybody in the league. Louis DeBras, Lindros, and all that stuff. And, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, I mean, 49 games, guy has, you know, 36 goals. He's one of the toughest guys in the Ontario League. 6'4", 240. 
I mean, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you're feeling pretty happy about your pick right now, because especially after coming back from the injury season, you know, and, uh, and, and then to top it all off, um, at the end, at, they get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, new market. Um, so in, t- he, had, he goes, he actually ends up with the, um, Hamilton Canucks at, at the end of the year. And, uh, he plays four games in the American Hockey League. Scores four goals. So four games, four goals. You're like all of a sudden, oh, you know, like if you're the, you're here, we got our guy, you know, so. So the, uh, the, the following year, uh, 93, 94, I mean, it's, you know, I, I feel bad for him because you, you're coming off the, you know, four goals in your first four pro, pro games in Hamilton, you, you know, over the summer, here we go. We're going to get ready. My first year as a full-time pro and, Right at the start of the year, you play four games, get an assist, get into a fight with, uh, I think it was Gord Krupke, and then you injure your shoulder. And he was out for the rest of the year with uh, major shoulder construct reconstruction. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, you don't want to excuses or whatever. And I don't, you know, I'm not his doctor. I can't say back then. But if you're having major shoulder surgery and, and everything else, I mean, that's got to be, you know, that's a tough road to come back from. Um, you know, and I don't know if, if you could say, and I mean, I've read, I've read a few articles about him and, and he kind of, that, that kind of really took a scoring touch away, I think, you know, and, and everything. And, um, and I think at that point he really sort of, and again, I've never talked, I'm, I'm just, this is my opinion. Um, I probably focused just to be kind of a heavyweight fighter and, uh, you know, but in having said all that. The season he comes back, 94-95, it's a Syracuse crunch. This is basically his first full pro season. Um, you know, basically he had a, he had a lost year, but he's only still, he's only 21, first round pick, lots of time, you know, and, uh, Syracuse plays the, you know, uh, 73 games, 18 goals, and, uh, you know, 270 minutes in penalties. So again, if that's your first round pick, um, you know, and you're looking at him to be, you know, a kind of a future heavyweight and everything else. I mean, again, if you're Vancouver, you're you're looking you're licking your chops here because it's like he's looking pretty solid. And if you go back and look at his fight his fight card in the American League that year, Reed Simpson, Kerry Clark, Clayton Norris, Nyker, Langdon, Scott Daniels, Serge Roberge, Matt Rushdie, Jacques Mayotte, um, you know, Kevin McClellan, um, you know, uh, Barnaby <laughs> in Rochester. Um, you know, actually, I think that fights on my YouTube channel. Um, again, so, I mean, you, you gotta be, you gotta be pretty pumped. And it's like, uh, and then right at the end of the year, uh, he get, he gets the call up, uh, and, uh, he ends up, uh, playing four games, uh, right at the end of the year. And, and he has the one fight and it's against Sandy McCarthy, who at that time in 94, 95, when, when Sandy was with the Flames, he was kind of the man. And he was having a great year. And Sandy McCarthy's Flames run, again, for anybody, um, you know, because I know at the end of his career, oh, Sandra, you know, and everybody likes to, you know, whatever. But at the at the beginning, when he was in Calgary and Tampa Bay, Sandy McCarthy was a bad motherfucker, man. And, um, yeah. And at, at this point, for for story, 21-year-old storing off your first-round pick, coming off a shoulder surgery, 18-goal gear in the American League, at the end of the year, you know, you get the little end of the year call up and he has a great fight with Sandy McCarthy and he looked real solid. I mean, I might give, I'd give Sandy the win on points, but 
he didn't back up and he was throwing as good as he was getting. And I, again, looked that fight up. Great tilt. And, um, yeah. And, and that guaranteed, like right then, I mean, the guy has 18 goals in the American League, comes up at the end of the year, goes toe to toe with the champ pretty much. And it's like, you're like, all right, we found our guy. And, uh, so 90 in, uh, 95, 96 of Vancouver, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, he plays the, that's his first full season in the NHL. He plays 58 games and there you go. Right. Like no, the one assist 123 minutes. And, um, yeah, it, he, uh, and of course he ultimately gets actually traded to Pittsburgh, um, right at the, right at the trade deadline. So he, he really played, yeah, just Vancouver's fourth, first overall pick and play 62 total games for him. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's too bad, but at the same time, I had talked to somebody who was it that I talked to. I'm going to look at the Syracuse crunch roster. I had him on my team. Who was it now? I had him on my team. I had him on my show. Hmm. Oh, I see who it was. Okay. I won't say names, but, um, he, the word was out that he was, again, this is just what I'm going by what was told to me, um, that he was sort of, he was lazy and, uh, really came in overweight. And, um, and again with Vancouver, same thing. He can't, he had come into camp out of shape. Uh, they kept him, uh, cause they, you know, they needed toughness, whatever, but, um, they weren't happy. And then, you know, like I said, you're, you're giving this kid a shot and he comes out, comes in overweight. Um, nonetheless, um, in, in the, in the 95, 96 season, he has 96 tilts, uh, 96 tilts, Jesus, oh, 16 tilts. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with, uh, mixed results, he starts towards the end of the year. It's probably at the start of the year. He's probably not in great. Like they said, he came in out of shape and whatever. And fight wise, you know, he kind of loses the Matt Johnson and Severn. I mean, he beats Derek King, but I mean, you know, it's Derek, it's Derek King. He's not a fighter. Although King actually kind of started that by hitting him from behind. Um, he fights Probert. That's not much of a fight. Churla. Well, Churla kind of jumps him, but that's not really much of anything. Um, his, actually his, his, his first kind of, well, his best fight so far was McCarthy in his rookie fight there. Um, later on in that, in that year that I was talking about in his first full year, right on November 25th, he has the fight with Dodie Wood in San Jose. And I had mentioned it when I did the spotlight on Dodie. This is a great fight. And, um, yeah. And then he fights Tony Twist. Um, starts off okay, but he kind of loses his balance mid fight. He's trying to get up and Twist kind of just, jerks him and yanks him around, you know, twist fights. He's got that herky jerky and he just, he kind of pummels him down. And, um, yeah, so, you know, not much of a showing against twist, but then he has a great fight with Rudy Posek and I love Rudy too. And they go toe to toe and he, he busts Posek up and it's, it's a great fight. Um, you know, he, he kind of gets that arm out of his Jersey and, and just gives it to him and it, it's a good one. And then, uh, a couple days later, he fights Kelly Chase in Hartford, Another great fight. Um, you know, you know, he gets the jersey, the jersey comes off. Um, and he kind of starts really, you know, kind of giving it to twist or to chase, pardon me. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really great fight. And then, uh, and then his last fight as a Canuck is with Cam Russell. And, um, again, spirited kind of short little tilt, but, you know, he does all right, gives it to Russell. And then, um, yeah, on March 20th, he's traded for Marcus Naslin and, and like I said, it, uh, it, it'll go down as, 
um, you know, a, a, a great kind of, oh, you know, a great trade for, for Vancouver and everything else. And, and it was obviously, you know, Naslin went on to become uh, a great scorer and everything else. And again, with hindsight, this is where everybody goes, oh, I can't believe Vancouver would do that trade or, or Pittsburgh would do that trade and they're so stupid and whatever. Well, at that point, um, Again, actually, it's it's interesting. Naslin went in the first round on the same year Stoinoff went in the draft. Stoinoff went seventh, and Naslin went sixteenth overall. Um, Naslin's first year with Pittsburgh, seventy-one games, four goals. That you know, and then he he kind of he flounders in the in, in the IH. You know, he plays in the IHL for you know a couple times. Then Pittsburgh brings him back up, but it's fourteen games and whatever, two two goals. And then the year he got traded, sixty-six games. Um, he had 19 goals. He had 52 points and 60, you know, which is okay. But again, first round pick, you're kind of, eh, you know, is he really showing anything? And at the time, Stoinoff, again, he's 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 only one year removed from the 18 goal American League season and 270 minutes and all these great fights. And he's starting to look good against the other leagues, heavy like with the Poshek fight in the wood and the chase, you know, and Twist and Probert. And he's, you know. It's like, okay, and he's only 22, so it's like, well, you know. Um, so they took a shot, because at the time, and even after the trade with Nas, like Naslin the following year, 21 goals and 14 goals. And it's like, you know, okay. Like, even when they traded him, Pitt, Vancouver, at the end of that in the end of that year, after the trade, he, he played 10 games with them. Yeah, he had three goals in 10 games. Well, you know, and, and it's not like he's physical or hitting anybody or anything, so it's like, He's sort of just the, you know, he's just that average left winger. I'm not saying he was ever bad, but then the, the next year he has 78 games, he has 20, 40 points, 21 goals. Eh. Like, is that, if are, are you screaming and jumping up and down that, oh, I'm great, I'm glad we have Marcus Naslin? Like, you know, and then the next year, 76 games, 14 goals, 20 assists. Again, eh. Are you still excited about Marcus Naslin? Like, at this point, the trade's kind of... Because it's not like Stoyanov's doing anything either, but it's not like this highway robbery trade. Right now, it's the trade's sort of just... Kind of just... You know, it's just two guys at this point, and It's just another deal. Um, it was after that, and obviously Vancouver stuck with him. And he matured and got older, and obviously at, at 24, 25, when he started getting into his prime, then that's the Marcus Naslin everybody remembers, right? 66 points, 75 points, 90, 100 points, 80 points. You know, and then he goes on to have, you know, the legendary career in Vancouver. You know, it just took some time to get there and some ice time and some confidence, right? Um, growing pains, you know, is what happened. But for when it first happened, when you put it under a microscope and you first look at the trade, it's like, you know, it's not really that crazy of a trade. And, uh, you know, and then, the, but the, what the problem with Stoinoff was just injuries and probably work ethic. And like anything, you always kind of think, well, you know, as a G, maybe if we get the right guy yelling at him and getting that headspace and he starts taking it serious, we got something. But I don't know. I just think the injuries and the shoulder and everything just took its toll on him and just, he just never could, you know, he could just never catch up. And, um, you know, right at the deadline, like I said, in March, he gets traded. Well, his first fight with Pittsburgh's against Bob Bugner. That's a great fight. Um, you know, it, uh, the fight starts off strong, like they're going toe to toe. Kind of a bunch of missing at the end. It looks good on video, but they're kind of missing at the end. But, uh, <coughs> the intentions are there. We'll put it that way. Um, and then he has a playoff fight with Tenorti, 
uh, Mark Tenorti. And uh, it's an interesting fight from the fact that Tenorti keeps his, uh, his, his, his glove on. And um, keeps his left glove on. and But he kind of controls... Stoinov, Stoinov really liked to get his arm out of his jersey, and uh, but Tenorti kind of because Tenorti's the same size as Stoinov too, so he kind of wrestled around with him and got his jersey over his head, and he kind of gives it to him a little bit and busts Stoinov up, but Stoinov landed shots too. But um, I, I would give the win to Tenorti, but uh, nonetheless, um, that was in the playoffs. The following year is ninety six, ninety seven. And, uh, and again, all the fights that I'm mentioning, as I always say with these, they're all on YouTube. So you can go, you can go watch what I'm talking about. And, uh, the, the following 96, 97 with Pittsburgh, uh, he plays 35 games, uh, goal for assists, 79 minutes. And this is his last season in the NHL. And, um, but he has some great fights and it starts off with Darren Langdon, uh, in October. And, uh, this is an awesome fight. They go, they go toe to toe, you know, and it goes for a long time as all Langdon fights do. Um, I would give the win to Stoinoff in this one. Um, but yeah, they're given as good as they're getting and definitely look this fight up. It's awesome. Um, as I always say, whenever I'm watching Ranger fights, Sam Rosen's fucking awful. He is terrible. How anybody could listen to Sam Rosen is beyond me. God, that guy's awful. Um, he all, then his next fights against Brendan Witt. He gives it to Witt pretty good. Um, yeah. And then, uh, a, a really good fight with Daniel Lacroix. Um, Actually, it's, it's decent, but it starts off, starts strong. And, uh, he starts off strong against Lacroix and he's giving it to him. And I will, I will give Daniel Lacroix credit. He comes back at the end and hammers Stoyanoff with some pretty good shots, cuts him on the eye and, and, uh, good, good showing by Lacroix there, but it's a good fight. Um, the next night he fights Mark Jansons and I'm a huge fan of Jansons and it's cool how it starts. It's over kind of by the box and they're kind of squaring up and they're like giving it the shrug, like, okay, let's go. And they drop their gloves. They both kind of got their hands down. I always liked how Stoyanov squared off. He's kind of got the Joey Coaster square off. He's got his hands down and he kind of does this head thing. And he's just, I don't know, to me, it looks kind of cool, but, uh, yeah, him and Jansons go toe to toe and, uh, yeah. And he catches Jansons and puts them down TKO and, uh, yeah. And, and that was, and that was really, that, that is Alex Stoinoff's last, last big fight in the NHL was dropping Mark Jansen's. Uh, cause after that he fights Matt Johnson eh, and then Rob Zettler, he, you know, he beats Zettler, but it's a nothing fight, but whatever. But, um, yeah. And then that's it. And then he, he starts the year, um, with Pittsburgh farm team at the time back in, in Syracuse. And, uh, you know, 41 games, just five goals. He has 215 minutes and he fights, you know, he actually fights a young George LaRocque, uh, Rocky Thompson, Bonvi, uh, you know, uh, and, but, and Sean Brown, like he, ha- he has great names in the fight card, but, uh, yeah, he just, he doesn't get the, the sniff, right? And then, uh, the following year, 98, 99, he kind of bounces around the IHL. He starts with, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, ends up with the Detroit Vipers. Um, well, and he's with Hamilton in the American League. So he's really bouncing around that year. Um, but again, some great, has a great fight with Dodie Wood, Bruce Ramsey, Dennis Vial, another fight with Ramsey, fights Mel Engelstad. I don't know if I've ever seen that Engelstad fight. Um, actually fights Engelstad a couple times. Um, you know, Dennis Vial again. So, I mean, he's still fighting heavyweight fighters, but, yeah, his, his, uh, I mean, I guess at this point, I guess it, it's just, he's got that tag of kind of just minor league, minor, minor league tough guy on him. 
sorry about that little break. Um, yeah, so he really kind of has that the, the label put on him. And, you know, 99-2000 comes. He actually gets an NHL tryout with Tampa Bay. Um, has four fights in the preseason. Two against Nathan Parrott. Eric Dandino, two against Nathan Parrott. And then one against Rob Ray. Actually, I'd really like to see that Ray fight. But uh, unfortunately, he doesn't make the team. And he's back with the Vipers that year in the IHL. Um, you know, has a fight. Good fight with Mike Rourke. That's on my channel. Um, I, Mike Rourke's badass. I, I dig Mike Rourke. Uh, Dreger, Ryan Tobler. Um, you know, and at that point, uh, yeah, I mean, 43 games, 1435 minutes. Um, then actually he ends up in the, of all places, in the Western Pro League with the New Mexico Scorpions. Uh, he played, you know, 36 games, has 26 points, 131 minutes. Um, you know, fights uh, Ryan Schmier a couple times and Derek Laxdahl. And um, and then he's, at, again, back in New Mexico the, for his final year of pro, 0102. Uh, skier Jay Banich, old screwy Todd St. Louis. He ends up fighting him, but he plays 28 games, 16 points, 98 minutes. Actually, and at that point, New Mexico's in the Central League, not in the West Pro, West pro anymore. And then that's it. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, the career, 107 NHL games, seven points, 222 minutes. So kind of a real, uh, unremarkable, uh, NHL career. I'm not, you know, knocking the guy. I mean, the guy played the show for a hundred games. I mean, you know, who am I sitting here? But I, I don't mean it in that way, but, uh, just for the fact, you know, a first round pick, um, you know, and I think just injuries and, you know, and I'm sure there was probably some, obviously with the weight issue and everything and and i'm sure probably some you know uh well it's interesting because uh as i was saying earlier i recorded with mark uh or pierre luc leblanc um and he kind of has that because he he did a lot of going up and down and up and down the american league and the nhl and and he talks about kind of getting you know kind of boo-boo face and you know you start feeling sorry for yourself and 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 he like he even brings up like um, you sort of forget where you are and what you're doing. And at the end of the day, you're in the American Hockey League and, uh, you should be thankful for that. And you, you realize that after, well, or, or it took, uh, Pierre Luc a long time into his kind of his final years in the American League to realize that. And he kind of w- wishes he had seen that before. Um, so it kind of, I don't know if it mirrors Stoyan off a little bit, uh, you know, and, uh, just being bitter and, uh, and stuff like that. But I think with the, like I said, I think the, the shoulder, major shoulder reconstruction, I think probably had a lot really put, you know, kind of killed the momentum of your career, right? And it was such an, at such an early age that, uh, you know, and then you get traded. And, and at the same time, he knows, like he sees what Marcus Naslin's doing. And he sees what he's doing. And that's got to, you know, and everyone in the hockey world, oh, what a brutal trade. And, you know, you know, I mean, that's got to affect you mentally, right? So, you know, um, so yeah, I mean it's unfortunate. I see that he is his wife is on Facebook, and I've often wanted to reach out for because I've heard her talking about like somebody put up a picture of Alec and she'd mentioned a little antidote about it or whatever. So she's obviously talking to him about it. Um, I would like to reach out and maybe uh, I think he's a firefighter now. I'd like to reach out and, and and talk to him and get him on the show. I think that would be cool. And just to kind of get it, if he wants to talk about it, who knows? But because I'm sure he's heard about it a thousand times and is probably tired of talking about it. But um, I'd like to just talk about his career and stuff. I think that'd be cool. And like I said, I, I really wish more of it. I wish his OHL stuff was out there. And I would love to see that fight with Lindros. You know, because that was, like I said, it was hyped all over the hockey. People have all over have talked about it. I would love to see it. Um, 
like I said, I'm a big, I was always, I always liked Stoyanov when he came up. I, I like, I liked to square off. He was a big guy. I kind of, I dug the vibe, you know, and, uh, he had some, he had in his, in his brief time in the NHL, like I said, some great fights with McCarthy, Lacroix, Poshek, Chase, Wood, um, Jansen's one. Like he had some cool fights. Like I said, go back on YouTube and check them out. You'll dig them. The fights in the minors. I actually, I do have the one fight with Engelstad is on YouTube. Um, the Robertish fights on YouTube. Um, the cool fight on my channel with Ruark. Um, I know Stonehouse involved in a line brawl with Manitoba and Detroit, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I think he was cool. He kind of gives off kind of the cocky vibe when he's fighting, um, you know, which might have irritated some people or whatever. I thought it was cool, but, um, like he, it's after his fight with, uh, with Jansen's, he kind of, they do the square off, like, okay, whatever, let's go, dude. They're going toe to toe. They kind of catches him, puts him down. He got to gets up, puts his arms out, like, yeah, did y'all see that? And, you know, as he's getting in the box, he kind of shrugs and yeah, he's kind of got that cocky attitude. I don't know. I always thought it was cool, right? Um, I don't know, the code, you know, some people, whatever, don't like it, but yeah, whatever. But, uh, I don't know. Alex Stoyanoff, folks. There you go. There's your player spotlight for the day. And like I said, all the fights I talked about are on YouTube. So definitely I encourage you to check out, check out his stuff. I think you'll dig it. And now a message from our sponsors. NFL Sundays are only getting better and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. I mean, right now, look at the FC East, guys. You know, the Bills, the Jets, Miami, it's a logjam. Is Kansas City still the team to beat? They're looking good. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is the go-to when betting on the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN and place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with the code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right. Well, let's get to this list. This is what Tim's been... Tim's been dying. Tim's putting down his uh, his pork shop his pork chop milkshake here with his broken jaw, and he he's at the edge of his he's at the edge of his seat here, waiting to hear this list. All right. Sorry, folks. We're kind of like I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, or I I don't know what my deal is. I'm I'm kind of uh, like I said. I'm I don't know if I'm if I'm hopped up on the cold med, meds or what. I'm kind of kind of getting loopy over here. It's like it's ten at night here, a Saturday night. Like I said, I probably should have recorded this this afternoon, but I kind of slept the day away. But uh, anyway, uh, what do we got here? It's, it's by the Sportster website in uh, March 15th, 2015. All right. <coughs> All right. Top 20 greatest fighters in NHL history. The sport of hockey and ever the odds of the ongoing role of the enforcer in the modern game throughout the game's history. Fighting has played an integral role. Sport of hockey, maybe. Oh, okay, yeah, that's the headline. Oh, um, referees are limited in their power to punish players for illegal or dangerous behavior, and fighting was used by players to police their off the, themselves. In the age of NHL discipline committee and video replay, this role has been diminished, but fighting can still serve as a valuable tool for players used to motivate their teammates and get the crowd back into the game. Um, do I hit? Did I hit record? Oh, I did. Okay. 
Uh, over the years, the rules instituted restrict how and fighting takes place. The third man in ejection was in 77 to prevent all outline brawls that plagued the NHL through the 70s. The league further curtailed fighting before the 92 season by implementing an instigator penalty for players deliberately provoking fights. Yet fights both premeditated and spontaneous still break out routinely in hockey games as players attempt to adhere to the code that has kept them amongst themselves. A uh, number of fights in games has steadily decreased in the 80s. And one fight, typically, the current season fights have occurred only 38% of games. Yeah, it's 2015. I think it's probably about 3% of games now. Um, That's the lowest of any point since the 68-69 season. Again, this is written in 2015, so it's gotten way lower. Um, while the NHL restricts have... Restrictions have certainly curtailed fighting significantly. The role of the enforcer remains a valuable asset for teams to have. Yeah, well, this list features the best fighters in the history of the sport, many of whom had an impact and provoked changes to the rules of the game. These men have these men have had a lasting legacy on in the sport of hockey and sacrificed immensely to defend their teammates. Well, there we go. That's a heck of a write up. So let's let's get to it. The top twenty here, and like I said, I am discovering this with you guys. So let's see what this list entails. As I have a few folks that send me these lists, and uh, uh, yeah, so thank you for sending them. Hold on, sorry, folks, my, my computer just kind of flashed for a second. I'm I'm just sort of checking Audacity to make sure I'm still recording. Okay, we're still still in business. You're still there. Uh, sorry, this is very anticlimactic, isn't it? Uh, here we go. Tw- oh, they're going from twenty down. Number twenty. Uh, Gordie Howe, the Gordie Howe hat trick goal assist, a fighting major, a single game, and the namesake of it included. Any list mentioned for NHL great NA, great NHL fighters? Mm, okay, Howe was not the most frequent fighter due to his immense skill at doing just about everything else on the ice. Yeah, he averaged like one fight a year, but Gordie was certainly not afraid to drop the gloves. Well, he wasn't afraid; he just never did it. But anyway, I'm adding my own. I should. I'll talk. I shouldn't add my own commentary, and I'll read the quote. Then we'll talk about it. Um, Howe's most famous fight came against Maurice Richard in a rare battle between superstars that is still widely talked about today. Howe uh, also had a notable fight against Fred Shiro that had to be broken up by Madison Square Garden Police when the two continued to brawl in the penalty box. Um, well, I would say Howe's most famous fight was Fontenotto because that's all anybody can ever fucking quote when Gordy Howe fights. Oh, he beat up Lou. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he did. Did he, though? I will always say with the Hal Fontenotto thing, if you actually read into like really read into it, um, Fontenotto was giving it to Hal too. Like it was a good fight. It was back and forth. And they're always like, well, have you seen the picture of Fontenotto? It's like, well, he broke his nose. Like that's it. He broke his nose. Like how many guys have had their nose broken in fights? So let's like, you're talking like, oh, he destroyed and destructed his face and he was never seen again. Like he broke his nose and Hal had a bunch of stitches too. So no, if you do any research into that fight, it was a good fight. And the Richard one, like, I don't know, the picture I saw, Richard's on the ice with his gloves and stuff and Howe's punching him. So, I don't know, did Gordy just jump him? Like, I don't know. Maybe it was a fight, but I don't know. I The whole Gordy Howe thing I don't get. Um, you know, the Gordy Howe hat trick. I think somebody said he only did that twice. Like, Rick Tockett did it like 19 times. It should be called the Tockett hat trick, you know. Um but, I mean, I get it. I mean, all, obviously, Hall of Fame player. I'm not trying to sound like I hate Gordy Howe or anything. I don't at all. Um, you know, but I think I always say with that history sort of revisionist. And, I mean, obviously, it was a different mindset in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Like, they didn't, 
fight like they didn't have designated enforcers and and like you know three shift guys or anything like that i mean they saw that there was some fights but not very often but how legitimately when you go back and look i think he had 20 some career fighting majors so yeah he, he literally fought once a year and you know um so i don't know would i put him on a list of i mean that's the thing i mean and when you anytime you're doing lists like this especially when you cross over eras and stuff. Cause like I said, the mindset in every era is different, right? So, um, you know, am I like mad that Hal's on this list? No. Um, in fact, actually, if I was putting him on the list, 20 is actually probably where I'd put him. So, you know, maybe they got it right, but I just think his fighting prowess is greatly exaggerated, much like, like Bobby Orr's or Larry Robinson's for hall of fame players. Yeah. They could fight their own battles and all that. And that's to be commended. That's cool that they could, but they weren't great fighters. And before everybody starts yelling Robinson and Schultz, that fight's the most overrated bullshit ever. It's three punches. Schultz slips on a stick. Robinson yanks him down and then gets up first and hits him when Schultz is on his knees. It's like, oh, okay. And it's a bunch of punches in the side of the head. You know, and that ended the Flyers. Meanwhile, the Flyers won the cup that year and then the next year. So, it's again, I love these people that just, these old timers that just, because Grandpappy told them Big Bird destroyed the hammer that night and he was never the same. Okay, you know, and the moon was made of cheese and we walked uphill both ways. You know, like, you know, whatever. Again, Larry, great defenseman, physical guy. His fight, go back and look at his fights. Eh. You know, and I'm not saying he should have been fighting, but it's, but you talk to, oh, you don't want to wake him up. Like, oh, okay, like, just stop. Like, and Bobby Orr, same thing. Bob, like Bobby Orr fought more than How and Robinson did put together, but it was because again Robinson fought like once a year. He had like twenty fights in his career too, and he played for twenty years, so he didn't really fight either. Um, I, I think Bobby Orr had about forty some fifty career fights. Again, if you go back, there's about ten or eleven of How's fights on YouTube. If you go back and look them up, he might land three punches in all of them. Like. All he does is he goes and ta- basically tackles the guy around the waist and like tackles them and then punches them when they're on the ice. It wasn't like he was going toe to toe. And again, am I saying Orr should be fighting? No, but it, his fighting prowess again is greatly, his fistic abilities are greatly exaggerated. Yes, he would stand up for himself, but no, he couldn't fight that great. He would just tackle the guy. Like it's like dial it down. Um, anyway. And again, I'm not saying, oh, you must be a flyer guy or something. No, I'm just saying how it is. I don't care. I'm just telling you. Do any type of research. Go look at the fights that are available online. No. But anyway, I digress. Let's scroll here. What's no, Who's number 19? Dave Semenko. Oh, well, there we go. Semenko's entrusted to protect uh, Messi Coffee and most importantly, Wayne Gretzky during his time with the Oilers. Uh, Semenko joined the Oilers, joined the Oilers before he joined the NHL. He went on to serve. Semenko joined the Oilers before they, before they joined the NHL and went on to serve as an enforcer on one of the most memorable teams in his league history. Uh, Semenko's notable feuds with Tim Hunter, Basil McRae. He also fought an exhibition bout with boxing legend Muhammad Ali. During his 10 seasons, he fought 87 times, lifted the cup twice. Although never a prominent goal scorer, Semenko managed to score the final goal in WHA history. That is true. Um, yeah, I mean, um, <coughs> speaking of Dave Semenko, um, for the newer listeners to this show, um, if you're interested, 
I don't know what episode it is, but if you go back in my da- back catalog, it's called the Dave Semenko special. And I have a, a, a friend of the show, uh, Luciano, uh, who's out in Winnipeg, but he was a big Dave Semenko guy, or still is, but he has done a lot of research into the career of Semenko and looked up video and pictures and newspaper articles. And he has, he has really done a deep dive on Semenko. And so I had him come on the show and, uh, and basically, yeah, we just talk about Semenko. And, uh, for those interested, I, I think it's a great, uh, a, a great time capsule piece. And, uh, and, and if you want to, uh, learn about Semenko, that is a really cool, like, I love that episode because I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously I've read Semenko's book and I've seen some of his fights, but I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't on newspapers.com combing the, the, the articles for Semenko, whereas Luciano has, and, and he was just a wealth of information. It was great. And, uh, yeah, so I encourage anybody to go back and check out that episode. It's really cool. And, um, and like Luciano brought up with Semenko, the problem with, with Semenko is the footage really, early Semenko footage isn't out there. Like Semenko in the, in the late seventies, the early eighties run there with the Oilers, when he first came up, you know, he's wearing the helmet and shit. There isn't a lot of stuff. And, and if you go back and read the article, Semenko was like killing guys, but there's no video of that. And the only video there is is sort of that later on mid eighties, you know, Battle of Alberta shit. And then of course there's Toronto and Hartford stuff, which isn't, you know, at that point, Semenko had lost the passion for it and whatever. But I think people see that and they're like, oh, this is, this is the legendary Semenko. He's no big deal. You know, Probert, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, but it's just like, Semenko had sort of just kind of, and there was an alcohol issue and whatever. And I think he had just sort of given up at that point. Um, but yeah, his WHA stuff and early Oilers stuff that isn't out there. If you read the articles and stuff, he does, he was a bad dude, man. And there's still some good video on him with Delorme and all that online still. Um, but yeah, I think we never saw the best of Semenko and like, cause the video is just not available, but, uh, you know, was, do I put list, like, is he on my top 15 or anything in fight? No, but I've always said there's a difference between great fighter and great enforcer. And Semenko was a great enforcer and there's a difference. And, uh, and he did his job well. And like I said, he, uh, and, and Marty McSorley talks about how, what a, what a great mentor he was. And, uh, and he, and we all saw what Marty's career blossomed onto and he credits Dave Semenko with all of it. And, uh, so what that says a lot. And the fact that Semenko wasn't, um, you know, like he knew what was going on. He knew, you know, the young guys coming in and whatever. And instead of, uh, you know, treating them like shit, he mentored them and, and taught them the role. And that's, and I think that speaks a lot to Semenko's character too. And, uh, but yeah, there you go. Dave Semenko, 19. 18, well, there you go, Marty McSorley, 18, all right. Early in his NHL career, McSorley was given an opportunity to serve as an enforcer assigned to protect Gretzky. McSorley proved throughout his career that he could not only fight but contribute on both ends of the ice. I keep wanting to say Semenko. McSorley won two cups with the Oilers, racked up 32 majors over those two campaigns. McSorley went on to lead the NHL in penalty minutes where he had 15 fights, blah, blah, blah. McSorley uh, participated in an epic 100-second 100 sec, 100 duel. That's interesting. 100 seconds, all right. 100-second duel with Bob Pro, one of the greatest fights in hockey history. Unfortunately, McSorley had a habit of taking things too far, which he did in 2000, by assaulting Brashear with a stick, ultimately leading to McSorley's suspension and retirement. Yeah, and unfortunately, like you said, and it's just even as in this article, it mentions it. You mentioned Marty McSorley. It's Brashear, the stick in the head to Brashear. That's how he'll always be known for. And, you know, um, 
what are you going to do? I mean, that's your lasting life. And it's unfortunate because he had a great career and that's how he's known. And like I always say when people bring that up, it's like, well, he played 900 games before that. But that's forgotten, the cups and everything else. And McSorley did turn himself into a great player. He played in a couple all-star games. Was a, He wasn't just a three-shift dummy, uh, regular shift on the blue line. Um, yeah, solid player, uh, great fighter. Uh, now, was he going to smoke you and knock you out like a coaster? No. He'd drag out the fight, stamina, unbelievable stamina. He'd drag you out to the deep water, as they say, and both hands and oversized jerseys and just keep coming and just tenacious, man. McSorley was the man. Great fights and um, did it for a long time. And I, I you know, I mean, the stick in the, with Brashear was brutal. And, and McSorley did go too far. And, and I always, I always, I'm sure everyone's listened to it now, but I have the great interview clip from the uh, Ice Guardians documentary, or no, the Last Gladiators documentary. Um, it's a DVD extra. It's about a, a seven or eight minute interview with McSorley and he explains the enforcer role. Dude lays it out and he says, you got to cross the line and be willing to take a suspension. And, and he did that throughout his career and, uh, he walked the line. And again, when I, there's a difference between fighters, he was a great fighter too, but he's even a better enforcer and he learned from Samanko and he, he went, he, he went up to the line and went over the line a couple of times. And, uh, the Brashear thing was brutal, but that's, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've, I've had this debate online. I've talked about it on this show. I love Marty. I'm not a Brashear guy, whatever. I, I always give Brashear's due. I have him in my top 10, but I was never a fan of Brashear's, but that whole thing was brutal. And anybody that wants to sit there and defend McSorley's actions and, well, Brashear deserved it and whatever, you're an idiot. Like, no, he didn't deserve a stick in the head. I understand what McSorley was trying to do. Um, he says he wasn't trying to hit him in the head. Eh, we'll never know what lies in the hearts of man, right? But I don't know. It looked pretty intentional to me. And McSorley had a habit of high-sticking people. He did it to Banks in the face, too. Uh, intentional cross-check in the face. And, you know, you, you got when you have the rep, it's like, well. But it was a brutal shot. And, I mean, I know Brashear should have given him the rematch at the same time. Brashear had already beat his ass how many times. You know, and it's tough, and I I get it, but you know there was he could have just dropped his stuff and just grabbed Brashear and started punching him. He could have done that. Like it wasn't like they would have he would have just got kicked out of the game. They wouldn't back then in two thousand they wouldn't have suspended him for that. And uh, instead, you you didn't have to take your stick to his head. So, but unfortunately, that's how Marty will be remembered. That's not how I remember him, but that's how it all whenever his name comes up. But that's an unfortunate deal. But uh, I'm a big fan of Marty's. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the best enforcers of all time. <clears throat> Number 17, Tony Twist. Uh, Twist mastered the art of throwing hands, despite limited ice times. Uh, Twist still managed to put up six, ten fight seasons. Uh, Twist known as the battle of the league's, league, battle of the league's biggest and baddest, breaking, breaking Rob Ray's face. Bob Probert fought Bob Probert five times, but his NHL career ended when he broke his pelvis in a motorcycle accident. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. We never saw that because he was he was set over the summer to sign with I'm gonna have to ask Jamie Rivers again, but I swear he said it's the Boston Bruins. Could you imagine Twist in Boston? He would have been a hero. Um but he was set to sign somewhere and it was gonna be and it was for big money. Like at that time for an enforcer it was like a million and a half or two million bucks. Like and I imagine that though, like what Twist had like mentally Cause you're, you're, st- he's still firing on all cylinders and yeah, he's, he's like 31 or 32, 
but he's still in prime shape and pounding the league and all of a sudden your career's over just like in a blink of an eye mentally that had to be tough and uh but yeah twist man he uh what can you say he manhandled dudes he never had the great fight with probert yeah they fought five times but none of the fights were any good they'd fall or slip or something goofy would happen but yeah twist i mean you you know uh, he was one of those guys, couple shift guys, but he definitely made a statement with the Blues. And, um, you know, I know everybody likes to yell about steroids and all that. Yeah, whatever. I can, guarantee, I can tell you this, folks. Twist wasn't the only one on him. So, um, But, <coughs> again, I remember Twist from Saskatoon here. And he fought the same with the Blades as he did all the way through to his final NHL fight. And uh, those big looping, you know, everybody knows the Tony Twist punch, right? That straight arm from... You know, he's bringing that shit from all the way from left field, right? So, um, yeah, huge power puncher guy. As he got older and got bigger and stronger, he definitely had that rag doll sort of wild punch. He hit you three times in the shoulder, maybe once in the helmet, drag you around. Um, like, his fights weren't uh, masterpieces by any means, um, but they were to the point, right? They were quick, violent, and powerful. And that's what Twist was, and uh, and he was very effective at it. Number 16, Brashear. Okay, Brashear is one of the most entertaining. I don't know about most entertaining and dominant enforcers in the NHL, but, he, well, he was dominant. Entertaining? Eh. Brashear used the size and skill to overwhelm opponents and led him to frequently being included amongst the league leaders and fighting majors. He was involved in over 200 NHL fights and continues to ply his trade. When he retired from the NHL, Twist or Brashear was 15th all-time in the league penalty minutes. He's also participated in boxing and MMA matches, utilizing his hands his hands for skills off the ice. Um, I didn't know he was an MMA. I knew he'd box, but I didn't know about MMA. Um, yeah, like I said, again, Brashear is one of those polarizing people. I know most, except for Tony. I think Tony's the only person that likes Brashear. <laughs> but I've always given Brashear his credit. I've always given him his due. Um, I laughed in this. They, I, I got to stop interjecting while I'm reading. I'll, uh, I'll read the thing first, then I'll talk about it. Um, was Brashear entertaining? No. I, I know people love to yell Huggy Bear, and again, that's their whole, they don't like him, and so it's Huggy Bear, and he sucked, and, well, you're just an idiot then. Like, uh, you clearly haven't, well, and then I, well, that fight with Probert in Montreal, okay, well, you, you know, you're used, Brashear played, like, 14 seasons since then, right? But you love to use the rookie Brashear thing. Yeah, in Montreal, what, or he fought scared. Well, yeah, he was a rookie, and whatever. He obviously got better in Vancouver and Philly and shit, you know. I always love when people try to make their point, and they show him at, like, when they talk about Scott Parker. Well, Probert dropped him. Well, yeah, Pro- Parker was 21, he was a rookie. Like, Okay, can we go to his prime and then let's talk about these guys in their prime. Why are you using examples of when they were at their lowest point? That's the example they used to prove their point, right? Um, but yeah, Brashear, um, yeah, he was cocky and arrogant and, and he was a bad guy. Like I always say, every movie needs a bad guy. Well, he was the bad guy. And, um, but he did the role great for years. Um, there was a stretch there for in Vancouver. I mean, you could count. Really on one hand, how many fights he lost. And, you know, yeah, you weren't going to get a task or send fight out of him. But there was fights when Brashear fought on his terms and controlled the fight. And when he wanted to, he could pull you out. He was strong enough to pull you in. And you kind of get those side noogie shots. I've had guys on the show that have fought him. He wasn't always a pillow puncher. Man, he ain't throwing pillows. Like I said, you you felt those. 
But watch this fight with Sandy McCarthy when they were in Philly in New York. He splits McCarthy's helmet in half. So, yeah, don't tell me Brashear is a pillow puncher. Um, but when he had control of you, he would separate and he'd land some shots. And Brashear was a bad dude. And you can say whatever you want about him, but guy could fight without a doubt. And like I said, when people talk about their all-time top 10, he's in mine. Oh, believe me, it pains me to do it, but he's in mine. Number 15. Ultraman. Matthew Barnaby. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, okay. Barnaby was one of the best agitators in the history of the NHL. Throughout his career, Barnaby had a knack of provoking opponents and pushing to their buttons with ease. Involved in 205 fights over the course of over the course of his career with seven different teams. Led the league in penalty minutes twice in notable rivalries with Lyle Oldline, Ty Domi, and the larger Zdeno Chara. Following his NHL career, Barnaby has become a television personality, co-owner of a construction business with former teammate Rob Ray. No, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I I love Matthew Barnaby. Um, I would have him nowhere near a top 20 list. Um, but he did his job well. 205 fights. I always say with Barnaby, if he played now, he'd be King Kong. Um, but fearless. I mean, the guy was like a buck 80 and fearless and fought everybody. And, um, you know, yeah, he had the mouth and annoying. I mean, I get why people, I hate Bar. I get why people say they hate Barnaby. I really do. But to me, guys like him, even Avery and stuff, although, uh, well, like Barnaby, somebody asked Barnaby one time when he was a, he was doing a talk show on TSN or whatever. They were talking about, it was when Avery was still playing and they compared him to Avery and Barnaby goes, yeah, I could see that. The only difference is my teammates liked me. <laughs> so, um, and I know he, Barnaby still wants to fight Avery to this day. I know last year, on, was it last year or the year before when Avery was going to sign in the East Coast League? Barnaby went and told every East Coast League team to sign me for one game because I want to fight that guy. Um, those guys should do, what are those things on Barstool? Rough and rough and rowdy or something? They should do a boxing match. Barnaby versus Avery. That would get some pay-per-view buys. Money goes to charity or something. I think that'd be cool. Um, I think, somehow I think Avery would weasel out of it, though. Barnaby would do it for sure. I think Avery would duck it, though. Um, I don't know. I always liked Barnaby. He was exciting. Always kept things interesting and... Yeah, I don't know. Barnaby was cool as shit. And he's cool with his fans, apparently. I mean, he's cool with me, man. I'm down with Barnaby. I wouldn't put him on this list, but I, he's cool with me. Number four, yeah, like, I mean, Dave Brown, which Dave Brown should be on the list. I don't know, at 14, he should be about four. But okay, Brown's 14. Uh, but you got Brashear, then Barnaby, then Brown. It's like, ah, which one of these things doesn't belong? Uh, during his heyday of the enforcers in the 80s, Brown entered the scene as an intimidating heavyweight contender. Standing 6'5", Brown was an intimidating figure on the ice and continued the Broad Street Bullies' legacy forged with the Flyers in the 70s. Brown ac- accumulated 148 fights in his career with the Flyers, Oilers, and Sharks. Even managed to win a Stanley Cup during his tenure in Edmonton. Brown accepted his role as an enforcer, facing off against fellow tough guys like Grimson, Ojek, and Jay Caulfield, whom he fought nine times during his career. Yeah, Caulfield had guts, man. I'll give him that. Caulfield, you know, um, was certainly willing. Balance was terrible, but willing dude to fight Brown nine times. Yeah, I mean, Dave Brown, I mean, I had that, the, uh, the episode a few, few, uh, well, a few episodes ago it was probably 30 episodes ago now, but, um, when we, I basically put it out there, Brown or Probert, and, uh, we broke it down, and there was a lot of, um, Stu Grimson says Brown's the toughest guy he's ever fought. There's a bunch of people that claim that Brown was the toughest guy. So whenever the, oh, it's Probert, never, no one else is close. Well, there's a lot of people that'll beg to differ with you. Um, I still have Probert, I kind of have Probert 1A, Brown 1B kind of thing. Um, but yeah, left-handed, you know, yeah, he took us some losses and everything else, but 
terms of just pure straight enforcer, bad dude. Brown was rattlesnake mean, and he'd hit you with those lefts, and he didn't give a shit. If you were down, you were ready, it didn't matter. He was fighting, and you were going to pay the price, and Brown was one of the best of all time. Certainly higher than 14, but at least they got him on the list, I guess. 13, Terry O'Reilly. Well, there you go. O'Reilly spent his entire career protecting his teammates with the Boston Bruins. During that time, he watched, watched the backs of Esposito, Bork, and Orr. O'Reilly frequently protected his team, ferociously protected his teammates, but he also had a scoring touch, netting 204 goals and 402 assists during his career. Famously led the Bruins charge over the glass of Madison Square Garden. Uh, O'Reilly fought Dave Schultz, Troy Robin, Tega Williams during his career, which provided capable of going toe-to-toe with some of the toughest players in hockey history. Yeah, I mean, what can you say about Taz? He's awesome. A great player. A lot better credit, or a lot better player than people give him credit for. I think they just look at the fights and Terry Oh, he went into the stands and all that stuff. But yeah, 600 points, was a power forward guy. O'Reilly, again, before my time really in the 70s. I mean, I've seen the videos. Uh, for, fortunately, a lot of the Bruins' older stuff is available on video. And uh, O'Reilly was uh, left-handed, wild swinger, was no wrestler. He just wild swing and up and down. And he took some shots and would get flailing around. And um, he was awesome. I love Terry O'Reilly. I, I, like, if I was a kid or whatever growing up in the 70s, I could guarantee Terry O'Reilly would have been my favorite player because he was just awesome. Tasmanian Devil, and he really was. Taz is the perfect nickname for him. Yeah, I'm down with Terry O'Reilly. Number 12, Clark Gillies. Uh, throughout his career, Gillies may not have been the most frequent fighter, but he made a tremendous impact for the Islanders and Buffalo Sabres. Along, it's interesting they've mentioned Buffalo. Um, alongside Bossy, Bossy and Trache helped the Islanders win four cups. Gillies' remarkable goal-scoring ability, in addition to fighting skill and toughness, netting 300 goals during his NHL career, one of Gillies' biggest achievement was his battle with Terry O'Reilly during the 1980 playoffs. After that first bout ended with an O'Reilly victory, Gillies recovered to wreck O'Reilly in the second bout, which sparked the Islanders to victory. Gillies was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 02. Yeah, and I mean, Clark Gillies, power forward. Um, you know, I I mean, I've I've even said it on this show. I've been guilt not guilty of it, but it, I've always said I wish I w- I get why he didn't fight more. I wish he had. Um, because to me, his you know the fight card's a little limited, uh, just due to inactivity. Um, but when he did, massive guy, a great fighter. Um, you know what? What can I say? Um, you know that late seventies, early eighties. I mean, again, I was just you know, uh, you know, ten. I was like ten years old. So that that really was out of my you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. That was really not really my time frame. So um, I've seen the Gillies fights on video. Um, great player. I loved it that he got into the Hall of Fame. Do I think he should be in the Hall of Fame? Well, it's it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Good. Um, yeah, he won four cups, but pretty stacked teams. And, and he was a huge factor. I'm not saying that. But that, again, this whole cup thing and it's a team thing and, and all that. I don't think that should get, like, I mean, was Ken Morrow going to make the Hall of Fame next? You know, like, I, I don't, I mean, that's a drastic example, but you know what I'm saying? A guy with, you know, I mean, like, well, Pat Maroon, there's a perfect example. He's got three cups in a row. You know, was he a massive contributor to those cup winning teams? That could be debated. You know, I'm not knocking him, whatever. I like Maroon. He's a physical guy. And I, I'm, I'm pumped for him here in the ring. He kind of bugs me now with his, fighting and laughing and all that shit. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I dig the fact that he won the, the rings, a physical guy, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I, I've never been a big, I've never subscribed to the whole, 
rings make a career. I mean, I mean, that's the point of playing is to win the rings. But like when people debate this Hall of Fame thing and all that, it's like, well, he never won anything. Well, it's a, we're not talking golf or, you know, or tennis or something where it's an individual sport. It's like the knock on Lindros. Well, he never won anything. Well, was he supposed to play net too? Like it wasn't his fault. Or like Marino never won a Super Bowl. Well, was it his fault that they didn't win a Super Bowl? Like he kind of did everything he could do. Um, you know, there's a thing called defense too that he, of course, Marino can't be a middle linebacker too. You know, so that, that whole the, the the championship thing to determine your greatness is kind of in a team sport to me is overrated. Um, but. That well, Gillies won four, so that's not the point here. But I, I just think, you know, like they said, he had three hundred goals and he makes the Hall of Fame. Well, uh, you know, I did, again, I'm pumped that he's in there. I'm not knocking Clark. I like Clark Gillies, and I'm happy he's in the Hall of Fame. But I don't know. When Talkett and McGillney and guys like that aren't in, and Gillies is, yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Because like really, Rick Tockett's got better number offensively. He's got he got better numbers than Gillies. And how many cups did Tockett have? Two, two or three. So, and he's not in, and Gillies is. It's like, well, I don't know about that one. So, anyway, we'll keep going. Number eleven. Actually, this is this 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 segment is taking a while. I should probably pick it up a little bit. Uh, Rob Ray, number eleven. Oh, okay. Create a fighting technique where players would remove their jerseys and shoulder pads. Rob Ray created the fighting technique where players would remove their jersey and shoulder pads to prevent their opponents from grabbing a hold of them. Ray used his practice to enormous success during his career until the practice was banned. Even after his namesake technique was banned, Ray continued to dominance as one of the game's best enforcers. Finished with two hundred forty-one fights, led the penalty led the league in penalty minutes for two seasons. At thirteen fights against Ty Domi and some of the most brutal fights in the history of the league. Um, while Ray did not invent that technique, that was going on. That was going on for many years, uh, you know. But I guess it could be argued by going naked underneath, he kind of maybe perfected it. But Ray certainly was not the first person to come out of his jersey and all that. Um, again, you bring up Rob Ray; it's one of those things. Oh, he was no good when the jer- when he had to keep his jersey on. Well. Go back and watch history. Is he actually kind of got better when his jersey stayed on? Um, Ray really improved. You saw the, as he went on in the NHL. You saw the improvement right in front of your eyes uh, when he first came up with the NHL. When he first came up with Buffalo, he was almost almost more of an agitator. Like he fought a lot, but he didn't really win. He kind of got pummeled a few times, but he would as an energy guy, he would hit and he'd fight all the heavyweights, but with limit, you know, varying levels of success. Um, and as the years went on, yeah, he just got older and got better. And, uh, yeah, towards the end, Ray was a dominant guy. Yeah, I mean, you can say whatever you want about him, but, you know, in the jerseys, he had some great wins against some big guys. Like I said, he had, like, when I had, I did the comparison between him and Coaster as terms of power punchers. And everybody's yelling, Joey, Joey, Joey. But, I mean, you go back and look, and Ray had as many TKOs and knockdowns as Coaster did. And the guys he was doing it to could be argued that they're, Bigger name guys than what Coaster was doing it too. I mean, go back and check out the art, the uh, the episode. It was pretty good. And it was because again, it was a it was a topic that I put out to the to the fight groups, and I got everybody. It wasn't just my opinion. I got other people's opinions on it, and uh, I think there was good good uh, you know a good uh, case made for either both sides. At the end of the day, Coaster and Ray had huge power power numbers, and you know. 
And Ray had a tremendous chin. Like he said, even with Twist. Like, Twist broke his face. He still didn't go down. You know, like, Twist was, Ray was right there. And he ended up with a broken orbital bone. And he, it was fucked how he got his face broken. And dude went to the penalty box and sat there. Like, yeah, Ray was a bad dude, man. I dig Ray. Now, would I put him in the top ten of all time? Well, no. But he's, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. He wouldn't be in my top ten. Top 20? Eh, eh, close, close. But yeah, I like Rob. I was a huge fan of Rob Ray, though. I like Rob Ray. Number 10, Stu Grimson. Grimson was the NHL's champ, one of the heavyweight champs of the 90s, standing in intimidating 6'5, 240. Grim Reaper took on all comers during his playing days. He had a career long rivalry with Bob Probert, fighting him 12 times. Probert enjoyed the majority of the wins, but Grimson also earned a few victories himself. Uh, Grimson's remarkable ability to withstand punishment enabled to outlast many rival fighters. Ended his, but this also ended up costing him dearly. A concussion suffered during a fight with The Rock in 01 ended Grimson's career. Grimson has moved on to fight his battles in the courtroom as a lawyer. Um, yeah, Stu's an obviously intelligent guy. Uh, wrote a really great book. Um, yeah, man. Uh, Stu, when he first came out with, uh, well, with Calgary, of course, had the legendary two-fight battle with Brown. Kind of won the first one, and the second one ended up getting his uh, orbital bone broken. Um, but yeah, he went on to Chicago, kind of finding his way in Chicago. But he was really long, gangly, long arms. Um, but when he got to Carolina, he kind of started putting it all together. And uh, he really came on late in his career with the Carolina, Anaheim, Nashville type, you know, L.A., um, some big wins, some big knockouts, and he, he had some vicious fights. Grimson was mean, man, and he would put one on you, um, fought everybody, his fight card second to none, and, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I dig Stu, and he, he, he's a bad dude, man, and, and he's, and he was mean, he was, and, uh, he, he hung one on a few guys for sure. Number nine, Joey Coaster. There you go. Other half of the Bruce Brothers. Coaster fought 217 times. Best known for playing in Detroit. Coaster, intimidating figure with a devastating right hand. Uh, Coaster established himself by earning the most penalty minutes by earning the most penalty minutes in the NHL during his first season. After finding success in Detroit, he went on to the Rangers, helped win a Stanley Cup. He would contribute goals to help the Wings win two Stanley Cups over a decade later in his second stint with the team and, that, and another as a coach. Um, yeah, I mean, Coaster. What can you say, man? His right hand, his right hand's mangled, but unbelievable power. Um, I always felt after he left, when he was with Detroit, he was great in Detroit. I'm not, and I don't mean this as a slight to Joey Coaster, but when you go back and look at his fight card and everything else, I don't know. To me, him and Probert were kind of Batman and Robin, and he was Robin. And uh, not saying he wasn't capable to fight the heavyweights, but if you kind of look, it was kind of like Probert fought the ones and Coaster fought the twos. And, um, I guess his, I don't know, to me, his fight card is very average in Detroit, but when he went to New York and he became the lone gunman, um, I think he really came into his own and that's when Kosa really started hammering guys. Unfortunately, his hands were really wrecked at that point too, but, um, yeah, devastating power, a lot better player than people believe that people give him credit for, um, you know, 19 goal season, um, yeah, I mean, he's a Saskatchewan guy. I mean, I, I dig Joey Coaster. Not a big guy either, you know, like 6'1", 200, 210. So it wasn't like he's some, you know, intimidating, visually intimidating. Um, but, yeah, obviously tremendous power, and and it cost him. And actually that power almost cost him his arm. 
in the American Hockey League. He knocked out Jim Playfair, which is on YouTube. Look that one up. One of the most vicious. It's exa- it's a it's pitcher. Uh, it's it almost mirrors the knockout of Jim Kite later on. Um, but yeah, he drills Jim Playfair, knocks him out. But at, at the time when he hit him, he uh, play, he cut his knuckles on Playfair's teeth. And uh, it, and he never got it cleaned out or whatever, and it got infected, and he was in the hospital. And there's a picture if you go YouTube Joey Coaster Hospital. There's a picture of him sitting in there, and it almost cost him his arm. It got infected that bad, and they had to clear it all out. And uh, yeah, but that's man, the power, unbelievable. Number eight, <coughs> Dale Hunter. Uh, okay, now. Uh, Dale Hunter is one of the most controversial and most skilled enforcers in the history of the NHL. Incredibly skilled at the puck, earning a thousand points during his career. Hunter also finished with 3,500 penalty minutes, second most of any player. Uh, to certify his villain status, took a cheap shot to deliver Pierre Turgeon, returned him a 21 game suspension. Hunter also racked up 165 fighting majors, uh, including four against Alf Samuelson, who got more than he could handle from his much smaller opponent. Uh, yeah, Hunter, Dale Hunter, number eight. All right. Um, again, great, like I said, great career, great player, 1,000 points, 3,500 3, minutes. Um, it's funny as I sit here, yeah, he had 165 fights, but it's like, I, you know what, in all honesty, I probably couldn't, I can't think of any great Dale Hunter fights that I've seen. I mean, I've seen him fight on various tapes and stuff, but it's just like, there's nothing that really stands out to me about his fighting. Um, obviously he did it. Um, yeah, I never liked Dale Hunter. Um, to me, he's just dirty and cheap and whatever. But he was a great competitor. You'd want him on your team for sure. Um, the the hit on Turgeon was brutal. I mean, that was just bullshit. Um, you know, he could say, oh, I didn't hear the whistle or whatever. Yeah, come on, Dale. You know, you just, you were mad they scored and whatever. Turgeon had that way of, I think Turgeon kind of had the, he wasn't dirty or anything, but I think he kind of had a shit-eating grin and kind of rubbed people the wrong way. Um you know, and I could I could see why Hunter was mad and why he did it, but to say afterwards he didn't hear the whistle or whatever it was kind of like, yeah, okay. Um, it, I mean, it was it was greasy and whatever. And his elbow on Gord Murphy was it Gord Murphy behind the net? That was bullshit too. Like he left his feet and almost a guy in the head. And it's like, I mean, whatever. You I, there'll be people listening that'll try to defend it and stuff. And you know, and I'm all for tough hockey and whatever. And if a guy's acting like a goof, he gets it and eye for an eye and all that. I'm I'm fully on board with that. Um, but to me, Hunter did a lot of just greasy shit and would, and he, and he, I don't know, he's the guy in the pileup that would throw the sucker punch between three people and then go and run and hide. You know, I was never a Hunter fan. I never liked him, but I'm not going to deny that he wasn't a great player. Like I said, a thousand points. Actually, it'd be, you know what? It'd be interesting how many more points he would have got if he hadn't have gotten 3,500 minutes of penalties. Imagine if he had cut his penalty. Cause yeah, he had 165 fights and all that stuff. He didn't really need to fight that much because he wasn't that great of a fighter. Let's be honest. So if he had cut both of those numbers in half, could you imagine how many how many more points he would have had? But yeah, great player. Again, one of those guys you'd want on your team. But in terms of like number eight on an all time fighting list, like are we kidding? Like no. And uh, but anyway, okay, Dale Hunter number eight, number seven, Rick Tockett. Tockett entered the league as one of the most fearsome fighters, quickly racking up two twenty fight seasons. Talk developed into one of the great premier power forwards of 530 goal seasons. Despite his newfound abilities, he continued to fight throughout his career, racking up 173 fights. Uh, he reminds the Flyers' all-time uh, penalty minute leader and also the leader of all-time in Gordie Al-Hattricks. There you go. 
uh, and holds the league record for them in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, Rick Tockett should be in the Hall of Fame, one of the premier power forwards in league history. Tough guy. Uh, like you said, 173 fights. He is the all-time Gordie Howell hat-trick leader. And uh, I love Rick Tockett. He's probably my fa- Him and Cam Neely and Wendell Clark are my three favorite players of all time. Um, yeah, Tockett was tremendous. And, uh, uh, you know, good fighter. I mean... Was he a great, was Rick Tockett a great fighter? Nah, no. Um, I wouldn't have him on a top 10 or a top 20 list. Um, but again, in terms of a power forward, oh, I mean, second to none. And, uh, but he had some great fights without a doubt, was fearless, fought everybody. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. And again, I think what helped, what helped in Philly at the time when he was there, I mean, he had Brown and Baruby and Karkner and all that. Like he had, he had a lot of tough guys around him. I'm not saying he stood behind them, but I mean, you know, but but Tockett fought pro hell. They headbutted each other. I mean, he fought a prover and fought those guys. But that's Brown and Baruby's deal. That's not Weisberg Tockett fighting like heavyweight fighters. But he would do it. Um, he had some had a little rivalry there with Brad May that I was really digging. Um, yeah, Tockett was great, man. I mean, I I could go on all night talking about Rick Tockett. I love Rick Tockett, and uh, yeah, there you go. But I wouldn't have him seven all time. Six, Ty Domi. All right. Ty Domi's lack of stature may not be pure tough as becoming one of the most fearsome and entertaining forcers in the history of the game. Domi started his career with Toronto before making an impact to the Rangers, leading the league in penalty minutes before he was traded to Winnipeg, then back to Toronto where he'd be most known for throughout his career. Eventually retired the third most... He eventually retired with the third most all-time penalty minutes. Uh, what? He eventually retired with the third most all-time. Okay, well, that didn't make any sense. Uh, Domi finished his career with 274 fights. The most memorable did not His most memorable didn't even come on the ice. It was with a flyer fan and fell under the penalty box. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Actually, I always wish Domi had hit that guy more. Um, yeah, I remember Domi when he came up. Like, like they said, he had a couple games with Toronto early and then with, with the Rangers. But when he came up with the Rangers, I'm like, and he fought Probert. He was doing the belt thing and all that. And then I saw him fight Brown. And he got whipped on. And then Linda Byers kind of whipped him. And it was like, but he'd always do the speed bag belt. I'm like, who is this guy? He's getting pummeled. And he's doing this belt thing. Like, this guy's a goof. I hated Domi when he was at the Rangers. I always thought he was just a little goof. Um, and again, but he was an OHL guy. Well, I do remember him because he fought Kevin Kaminsky here in Saskatoon in the Memorial Cup, which is a really great fight. He was playing, Domi was with Peterborough. That fight's on YouTube as well. My channel, look it up. Uh, really solid fight with Kaminsky. But, uh, but he was an OHL guy. I didn't know him. But I just remember him fighting Probert and, Everybody's like, yeah, he beat Probert. And I'm like, oh, did he? I mean, he cut him open, but did he beat him? I don't know. But that fight really got his, got him his name. But Domi, to me, really blossomed in Winnipeg. And that's, I kind of saw him in a new, I saw him in a different light in Winnipeg. And then when he got to Toronto and all those years in Toronto, I became a Domi fan. I like Ty Domi. Um, undersized, did the spin thing. Well, he had to do what he had to do to survive, but... I'm down with Ty Domi, and uh, you know, again, he's got his detractors, but for a guy that's like five foot eight and fought everybody, again, would I have Domi top ten all time? Yeah, no, I would have him in my top twenty though, just for just sheer fight card length of career, and it just did it every year, year in year out. Domi was there and did a great job protecting Sundin and them. I don't remember the Leafs getting pushed around and stuff when Domi was there. And uh, he did his job, and he was good at it. 
Number five, Craig Berube. There you go. Berube entered the NHL with a chip on his shoulder. After going undrafted, Berube broke into the NHL with the Flyers and quickly established himself as an enforcer by fighting pro over three times. Chief fought the league's best fighters with frequency, including multiple belts with Domi, Bugner, and McSorley. Uh, when it was all said and done, Berube had 250 fights, retiring at the third most fighting majors of any player. Seventh most in career penalty minutes, Berube now serves as a head coach with the Flyers and continues to influence the game. Of course, he's since gone on with St. Louis and won a cup, which was cool. Um, yeah, I'm down with Berube. Um, I don't know if I, my top 10, he'd be knocking on the door if he wasn't. Um, yeah, he always did really well against Probert too. Um, but yeah, he had that right, lightning right, right hand and, uh, fought everybody, played forever. Again, one of those guys that every year he played, he never took time off. You know, he never dogged it, always fought the names. Um, the, I'm thinking the only time I ever saw Berube really get dropped was when Laws hit him with that uppercut. Other than that, I mean, maybe there's more, but off the top of my head, I don't really remember. I know Byers really took it to him the one night there in Miller that, when he was a rookie then. But like later in his career and his prime and stuff, I don't remember Berube really getting whipped on. Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Berube. I loved it when he won in St. Louis. Um, yeah, I'm down with the Chief. Uh, number four, Chris Nyland. Nyland earned the nickname Knuckles by fighting more than any other. Pl- then more often than every player in the NHL history except Tynomi. Nyland dreamed of playing with the Bruins growing up, but was drafted and played with Montreal. Nyland averaged more penalty minutes per game than any other player in history and holds the record for most penalty minutes in a single game with 42. What He holds the record for most pe- for most penalty minutes in a single game with 42. I think I think Reed Lowe broke that. I think Reed Lowe does. Um, he is one of nine players past the 3,000 minute mark. Um... I was never a Chris Nyland fan until I saw the documentary. And then I kind of got a new respect for him. And I went back and kind of revisited his fights. And he always did the job with Montreal. He was a great enforcer. He was exactly what they needed. A lot better player than people give him credit for. Um, he had that, in, he'd fight inside. He wasn't, was he the most exciting fighter? Well, no. But he had that, he'd come up from under, he'd, he'd put his head in your chest and kind of come up from underneath and, um, you know, but as an undersized guy fighting Brown and Giants and Playfair and Giants like that, you got to do what you got to do. Um, but fearless, fought everyone. I'm down with Chris Nyland. Again, I don't know about this list is the top 20 greatest. I don't know if it's just a random. Oh, it's 20 in no particular order. Because um, if this is the order, no, I would not have Nyland at number four. Chris Nyland wouldn't put Nyland at number four. Uh, but he was a great enforcer, without a doubt. Number three, Dave Schultz. Earned the nickname the Hanover being one of the greatest enforcers in league history. Schultz holds the all-time penalty minute record for a season with 472. Won two Stanley Cups with the Flyers. Uh, carried a reputation earned by leading the NHL in penalty minutes four times. Racked up seven ten-fight seasons. Brawled with the game's best, including O'Reilly. Schultz began wearing boxing wrist wraps in order to prevent injury to himself while fighting, and the league quickly outlawed the practice when it be- when it began to catch on. Um, he began wearing boxing wrist wraps. He did? Huh. I don't remember that, but okay, if they say so. Um, yeah, I mean, Schultz basically, there was like Ferguson and guys like that before that were enforcers, but I think Schultz kind of really glamorized the position and, of course, the bullies, and they really adapt, adopted it, and that was the whole shtick, right? Um, I don't know. I think he gets shit on by a lot of, because it's the Flyers and people hate him and whatever, but... I think a better fighter than people give him credit for. Um, they definitely use the tactic for two cups and the gang fighting and all that. Um, 
yeah, again, I, I wasn't even born yet. I, like, well, I was born in 75, so, um, I don't, obviously I wasn't around for that. All I can go by is the video that I see. Um, you know, not all of his big fights are out there, of course, but the stuff you see on video, yeah, he's pretty good. Um, 20 goal season, better player than people give him credit for. Um, yeah, I'm down with Schultz. He's all right. Uh, number two, Probert. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Entered the league in 85. Established himself as one of the toughest players in the league. All-star appearance in 87. Truly, uh, truly deserved. 29 goals, 33 assists, 398 minutes. Uh, formed one half of the Bruce Brothers, Joey Coaster. was one of the fearsome tandems in NHL history. Probert finished his career with 239 fights. Many of them were epic brawls versus Wendell Clark, Ty Domi, and even Joey Coaster. Sadly, Probert died of a heart attack in 2010. Um, yeah, I mean, You'll have some, a lot of people say Probert was the best. Other people might say Brown was. Regardless, Probert, okay, top three, we'll put it that way for everybody. I would have him at number one. But nonetheless, his name is sort of, you mentioned Bob Probert to just anybody on the street. They'll be like, ah, yeah, toughest guy ever. Um, great player, power forward guy. You know, and he had his issues with the drugs and everything and all that, unfortunately. But, um, great career. Great fight. Oh, I don't, what am I, I have to sell people on Bob Probert. Everybody knows Bob Probert. Um, yeah, there you go, Bob Probert. I don't have to, what am I going to say about Bob Probert that hasn't been said? Number one, uh, Tiger Williams. All right. Tiger Williams is a career penalty minute leader with 3966. There's a number that will likely remain for the rest of time. Oh, yeah, that record will never be, teams don't get that many. Williams is a capable contributor on the offensive end, and he excelled when it came to fighting, racking up fighting majors at an alarming pace. Williams finished his career with 246 and enjoyed a rivalry with Terry O'Reilly that spanned five fights. Williams led the NHL in penalty minutes three times during his career, always eager to prove toughness, often against much larger opponents. Despite all this, his most significant contribution to the game came with the invention of riding the stick celebration. Um, wow. Uh, I don't know about his riding the stick became his his key contribu- contribution to the NHL, but okay. Um, no, Tiger was again, power forward guy, great, great player, had multiple 30 goal seasons and, um, yeah, the all time penalty minute leader. Yeah. That record will never be broken. Um, a Saskatchewan guy. Um, he wasn't, he'd fight everybody fearless. He wasn't a great fighter though. I mean, well, I say that for an enforcer, he was not a great, he was a decent fighter, but he, you know, he took a lot of L's, but he was a wrestler, grappler guy and whatever, but on a, like guy was no fear, fight everyone. Um, you know, hey, would go up and down the length of the ice, fight everybody. Was a great, great enforcer, um, great player um, for his role. Um, I mean, if he played now, he'd be worth ten million dollars a year. Um, yeah, I mean, again, when I, you know, no, if, if we're oh best fighters ever, no, Tiger Williams would not be anywhere near a top ten. But um, that was an interesting list. Uh, you know, when you got Williams and. Dale Hunter and Burnaby and stuff like that. Uh, I don't really know what the point of that list was. Like the 20 greatest fighters. It's like, mm, no, you know, I mean, I, you know, you could list, you know, a million guys that weren't on it. Um, but it was interesting. Nonetheless, it was, uh, okay. <laughs> there was what more, which would, there isn't much more to say at that point, but, uh, and there actually isn't that much more to say in this right now, folks. Um, it is now 11 o'clock Saturday night and, uh, my throat is killing me. And, uh, as you could hear, I'm, I, pardon me for the cough. I try to cough away from the mic and try to do it over here. But, uh, yeah, I know it, uh, <clears throat> yeah, sorry about that. But, uh, anyway, folks, I'm going to get out of here for the night. 
and I hope you uh, enjoyed the episode. As I always say, thank you very much for tuning in. It is greatly appreciated. Like I said, I know there's a million shows to listen to, and the fact that you chose mine, I am uh, greatly appreciate that. So if you could, uh, I always say at the end, if uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on, could you rate and review my show? It would be greatly appreciated and helps me out in the searches. And also, uh, and like I always say, for every podcast that you listen to, no matter what the, the genre is or what have you, if you could rate and review it as a creator, it helps us. And uh, and download, don't stream, if you could please, because that also helps us out. And uh, from for me, that's how I get paid. That's how I can see the analytics and who's listening and, and how the show is doing, etc. What's working, what's not, um, and all that sort of thing. And if you want to tell me what's working and what's not personally, uh, find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Fourth Line Voice. Uh, if you're not on social media, send me an email. Hockey Fights, all one word, hockeyfights at hotmail.com. Yeah, send me a letter, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, I'd just love to hear from you guys. And I've... You know, and um, if you have ideas for the show, you want to come on the show and talk about something. I'm all, I'm all for it. Absolutely, this platform is for fight fans. And if you have something to say, I will get you on here for sure. And uh, definitely, so drop me a line and let me know. All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. Let's attack the week here. Enjoy it. And uh, remember, on Wednesday here, I have Pierre Luc LeBlanc coming. It's a really good interview. You guys will enjoy it. So, until then, have a good, have a good start of the week here, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good night. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?